Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, it's Martin Luther King Day, and I know that we're not covering any particular movie related to the day. I mean, obviously, this episode's not even releasing on the day we're recording on this day, but I just wanted to make a mention. Obviously, an important day for our country, so happy Martin Luther King Day to you, Christian. Happy Martin Luther King Day, Scott. We both are enjoying a day off of work, too, so we're recording a little bit earlier than we normally do. We normally record in the evenings. Christian, are you feeling a little extra, a little extra spry, a little more pep in your step here as we get ready to talk Barry Lyndon? I'm feeling a little more drained as I just woke up from a nap. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad the listeners know. So, <laughs> if you have any moments of drifting off or trailing off at the end of a sentence, they know that it's because you're groggy from a nap, not because you're disinterested in in talking about this movie. But Christian. Without further ado, we can drop the pleasantries. We're going to start talking Barry Lyndon here as our 1975 Blend of the Month continues on. As a reminder for those of you listening along at home, we are looking at three of the five Best Picture nominees from that year. Last week was Jaws, this week is obviously Barry Lyndon, and next week will be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the winner, ultimately, as well as one of the very few movies in Academy Awards history to sweep at the Oscars, the big categories, which we'll talk about next week for sure. Barry Lyndon did not do too poorly at the Oscars, winning four out of a possible, was it seven or was it eight? I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, I, I, I we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll mention it in a moment. <laughs> no. So one of the bigger movies of the year for sure. Christian, did you have any sort of relationship to this movie or did I get to put you onto it? I knew it was a Kubrick movie. I knew it was three hours and that made long. <laughs> I have seen Kubrick movies before. My interest in them raging from complete and utter boredom to this was fine. And so I have never really needed to watch Barry Lyndon until now. I, I'm curious, Christian, because that is obviously Kubrick has his critics, but that's a pretty muted reaction to someone who's widely considered to be one of the better directors we've ever had. I, I myself am not a completist. I have seen Barry Lyndon now twice. I saw 2001 in high school, but I have not seen it in many years. And I recently watched A Clockwork Orange for the first time. So even for me personally, I'm not oh, I'm not same. too attached. There you go. I've only seen three of his 11 features. But what have you seen and, and what didn't work for you about those movies? A Clockwork Orange, The Shining, 2001, this. <laughs> this, look... This guy, this is a guy who is content making the most beautiful sets and production designs and, and, and building worlds that are so fabulous to look at and has these scores that are so incredibly dramatic and tension that is so incredibly muted and pacing that makes a sloth look like a race car. And he is just so happy being like, look at this pretty tree. Isn't this a pretty tree? Isn't this such a, such a pretty tree? Hey, 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 still on this tree. Want to make sure that you know how pretty this tree is. 
And I'm like, dude, you need a, you need to move on now. You, you, you. <laughs> I get it. I get the tree. Okay. It's nice. Yeah. These twins, these twins, they're scary oh and they're, they're interesting. Move on, man. That's that's kind of my relationship to Kubrick. You've known to be critical of pacing before, for sure. And I'm looking forward to unpacking what it sounds like. It sounds like, from what I know, you maybe are not as big a fan of this movie. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. We'll get to it. But maybe not as big a fan of this movie as I am. So I'm looking forward to unpacking some of your problems with Kubrick's pacing and maybe some of the coldness or calculation that he is in equal parts criticized and praised for. And I find I just find it funny. He's obviously someone who worked in a variety of genres and styles. He made a couple war movies. He made historical epics, science fiction, horror, even romantic thriller slash drama. If you look at Eyes Wide Shut, I, I haven't seen it myself. I just kind of know what it's known for. And he's made movies ranging in in length from you know those ninety minute quick in and out type of movies all the way up to these massive three-hour epics with Barry Lyndon and Spartacus. So he has really been all over the place. And I'm I'm definitely curious to learn more about your maybe criticisms of Kubrick before we we or let me say I'm curious to hear more of your criticisms of Kubrick, especially as they relate to Barry Lyndon. That's a topic at hand. But I'm also curious to know if there might be maybe, you know, there's one out there for you that you you might like. And who knows? Maybe we'll watch it together someday. But we digress on Kubrick. I'm sure we'll get to him much, much more. Let's briefly talk Barry Lyndon now. Coming off the heels of one of his uh, big successes, obviously, A Clockwork Orange, which was a success mostly in its notoriety at the time. Obviously, it is widely appreciated now. It is a movie that caused a furor when it was, or is that a word, Christian? F-U-R-O-R, furor? Can we say that? <laughs> yes, that that is that is a word. It caused a hubbub. <laughs> I think you used it correctly. We're gonna steer Pure, an yeah. outbreak of public anger or excitement. There you it is, used folks. It correctly. Yes, there we go. <laughs> That's what I meant. It caused a hubbub when it was released. Uh, obviously, Clockwork Orange, very transgressive movie. Some extremely hard to watch scenes in that movie, and so. Regardless, it was a critical success at the time. It garnered Kubrick a nomination for Best Picture, among other things. He had previously won an Oscar for the visual effects in 2001. So he's sort of entering the tail end of his career here. He didn't, he wouldn't ultimately. He still has like 29 years left. That's what I was about to say, in, in that he. This movie comes out in 1975, and Kubrick doesn't pass until 1999. But after this, he only makes three more movies. He has The Shining, which releases. In 1980, Full Metal Jacket, Jacket in 87, and, and then Eyes Wide Shut, ultimately, in 1999. So he is entering the final third or yeah, final third of his career here, even though it's essentially 25 years before his, his ultimate death. And Barry Lyndon, obviously, would go on to be a critical success and a minor commercial success, perhaps, if, if anything. Uh, again, you got to look at that box office number. But 
It picked up nominations in major categories, nominated for Best Picture, obviously, but also garnering him a nomination for Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay, while ultimately winning Oscars in a number of below-the-line categories, that for being Best Scoring, one of the year's (laughs) weird Oscars, Best Scoring, Original Song Score and Adaptation, or Scoring Adaptation, making a distinction between original scores and movies that are adapting music from other sources, a strange screenplay-esque year for music and movies. This would also go on to win for the costume design, art direction, and cinematography. So a rousing success in some respects, but not necessarily commercially or with everybody at the time. Barry Lyndon is definitely a movie that has gone on to be more widely considered a masterpiece. It's a movie that I first encountered in college as part of a cinematography class and now own as part of the Criterion Collection. (laughs) So this is a movie whose reputation has certainly increased over time despite its success in in the mid-70s. It wasn't widely embraced until now. Christian, when when you say you were aware of this movie, was there anything about its reputation that preceded it? Anything that you had learned about it that you were curious to watch on screen? Uh, just that it was an epic period drama. That, that, was, that was the main thing. Gotcha. I, I was curious to ask, just because some of the cinematography in this movie, which we will get into, was considered pretty groundbreaking at the time, especially it how they... It looks gorgeous. Right. It looks gorgeous. I texted you, this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Yeah, and we will unpack that more for sure, but Kubrick specifically was able to shoot some of these scenes with natural light using candlelight, which was unheard of for movies at the time, and it's still challenging now, and they could do it because they actually got these specialized lenses developed by a uh, company called Zeiss, and (laughs) they were literally used during the Apollo moon landings. And so they got these highly specialized lenses for the cameras to shoot these candlelit scenes. So Barry Lyndon innovated at the time, like a lot of Kubrick's movies. And this is something I sort of picked up on as I was doing my reading about the movie after the fact. He would kind of get praised for these cinematographic innovations, even if it wasn't always widely embraced at the time. So that's Barry Lyndon. We'll quickly mention then a few of the key players here before we move on to our discussion. So, of course, written and directed by Kubrick. The cinematography was by John Alcott. We'll talk about him a lot. And I always like to throw out the cinematographer. And the major stars here are Ryan O'Neill and Marissa Berenson with a large supporting cast, many of whom uh, rotate in and out of the movie, depending on the uh, portion of the movie that they are in. And in terms of box office, I have that number in front of me now. So $12 million budget at the time, obviously pretty sizable in the mid-70s, and ultimately returned $20 million. But often when you're looking at these numbers, sometimes that incorporates re-releases and things or modern screenings. So again, not necessarily a box office smash. So Christian, let's talk Barry Lyndon. Obviously you were commenting on Kubrick before we got, or at the beginning of this episode about how you don't always connect with his movies. So in some of the materials that I was watching after the movie, a lot of the interviews and behind-the-scenes footage, we're focusing in on actually the emotion of Kubrick, how he's not always considered for it. The ways that he cuts to the core of his characters with the camera, or the ways that he admires beauty with his production design, his costumes, his sets, etc. And so, Christian, I do want to ask you, um, while we get into this discussion, were you able to connect with something on a human level in Barry Lyndon? Is there something that you you felt you were able to grab onto emotionally in the midst of all of this, or for you, was it a just a lot of artifice around something a bit more empty? I liked 
Barry the first hour or so up until he joins the army even like a little bit after he joins the honestly part one most of part one i could connect with barry in he has this love that is unrequited and because of his desire he really wants to get with his cousin that's honestly where this is all in can't get with his cousin and so what he ends up doing is leaving he, he's kind of forced to leave his town goes on this little journey ends up being forced into the army uh and i'm like <laughs> dang this this dude's down on his luck so i i i got that and then barry becomes a dick and and then i didn't care anymore so i <laughs> interesting <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I, I connected with Barry to an extent. Um, and I do think Ryan O'Neill is putting in a magnificent performance. I think his is my favorite out of all my perform- out of all the performances here. Why, it's good that you connected with Barry Lyndon, the character, <laughs> and the performance there, because it would have been very unfortunate to be negative on the performance or negative on Ryan O'Neill. So I'm glad that you're able to connect there. It's and so I guess we it, we should mention obviously this movie is adapted from a novel or a, you know I, I don't know if it was a novel it, at the time novel. published yeah serialized who knows the format back in the day but by William Makepeace Thackeray about this character Barry Lyndon who rises to the top of English society and then of course summarily falls back to where he came from and the first 90 minutes are about his rise and the second 90 minutes are about his fall and it's very evenly split there's an intermission in the middle of course and these two little title cards for part one and part two and i was curious to see which half you would connect with more and a story like this a movie like this often has people who are able to connect with one part and not the other and i know for me and you a movie we talked about similar to this is a star is born which the version that i know we've both seen at least i've only seen is the most recent edition with bradley cooper and lady gaga where for me i was a big fan of that movie but i didn't love it because the first 45 minutes to an hour or so as ali is kind of becoming a star is basically perfect (laughs) and then for me i just wasn't able to connect as much with the second hour of that movie, Jackson Maine's Descent. So I was curious to see which half would work better for you. Let's not say the first half worked for me. Let's say like the first 45 minutes <laughs> to an hour worked for me. And then the I liked... The first third. I, I liked the, the, the duel that he has with the stepson at the end. I like... Well, actually, that duel was kind of infuriating. But I liked <laughs> it enough. <laughs> High praise from Christian. I liked it enough. <laughs> I I am curious to hear more than Okay, no, 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 wait, wait, that, wait. Well, this, let this me, dude, let me, this dude, Barry Lyndon, right? Wants to get into his cousin's pants. Can't. All right? Uh, goes on a duel with the British officer who actually gets into his cousin's pants. Um, oh, boy. Beats him. <laughs> But apparently, uh, uh, you can't just kill a British officer. So he goes away. Um, he gets r- ransacked. <laughs> they they you steal. They steal all his money. They steal all his money. So he decides to join the British army. He doesn't like the British army. He's like, this is hard. 
So what he does is he deserts it. Then he ends up joining the other army. Who were the other people? The Ger- uh, the Prussian army. He this is the Seven Years' War the before Prussian the American army. Revolutionary War. Yeah. Joins the the, the, the Prussians, those the, the Prus or whatever. And, and with them, life is hard, manages to get close to this nobleman that with, who has the Linden title, right? Dude dies. So he's like... <laughs> I wouldn't say he got close with, the, whatever. with Charles Linden. <laughs> Char- look, Charlie dies. Char- Charlie's wife likes Barry. They marry. Now he's got tons of money. Has all these women the running around here. now. Has all these women because he, you know, thinks he's cool. Has his own son. That he does. But <laughs> has his own son, but wife has other sons. Now he's got two brats. All right. Um, man, older, really hates his guts, so he spanks him in public. I, I mean, no, no, no. Dad spanks son in public. Son runs away. Woo. And then he's got other There's kid. an actual, like, like, there's a fist fight altercation in front of a room full of people. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. So he's with other son now, right? Gives other son a horse. Mom is very, very upfront. She tells son, don't ride this horse without your dad. Runs the horse without his dad. Falls off. Little piece of crap dies. And Rest now, peace to Brian. Barry, Barry's sad. He's got tons of debt. Other son, stepson, comes back, challenges him to a duel. He's kind of a little wuss, like the little dude. And, and and Barry gives him like a chance to to like forget it by not killing him. Dude doesn't take the chance and shoots Barry in the leg. He has to have it cut off, and that's where the movie ends. <laughs> now <laughs> nothing matters in this movie. Recounted the story of Barry Lyndon. Nothing matters is your complaint, and I would say Christian, you're right. Nothing matters, and that's why this is a masterpiece. And I'm looking forward to unpacking our differing opinions on why nothing matters and why it might be a mark of quality or a mark of uh, frustration for you. But I think you're right in that nothing matters. And we talked about Marie Antoinette on this show when we were looking at some of the films of Sofia Coppola, nothing and that was my in that movie either. That's the again. That was one of my favorite movies. That was my favorite movie from that blend that we did. It's still currently my favorite Sofia Coppola movie, although I still have maybe one or two more to see. I think. Either way, I am such a big fan of that movie, partially because I love this movie. <laughs> so you can, I could see the DNA from Barry Lyndon seeping into Marie Antoinette, and obviously Coppola brings a very different perspective into it. Most notably, female perspective, obviously focusing on a important female, you know, royal person and bringing her uh, directorial perspective as well. And so much of what succeeds about Marie Antoinette is it shows how immature and ill-equipped these people are to be in the positions of power that are thrust upon them. And I connected that to Barry Lyndon. And I would be surprised if Sofia Coppola didn't watch Barry Lyndon with the cast or with some of her crew and had to inspire that movie, because that is, in my opinion... I mean, part of it's what I learned in college, and so I I can't say it's like my original crit- criticism, my original idea, but this movie is so focused in on the, not just on this ruling class in England at the time, but on Redmond Barry, who becomes Barry Lyndon, this Irish upstart who wants to be in power, who wants to be wealthy, who wants to live this life, and he strives and he strives, and it ends up, he ends up in the same place. Uh, he ends up without it. 
And ultimately, at the end, we get this little epilogue, and it's not a scene. It's just another title card that comes up on the screen that's a reminder that all of these people, whether they were rich or poor, handsome or ugly, etc., etc., all of them are now in the same place. And it's a reminder that nothing matters. And for me, that comments, are, it's, I, I would say it's Kubrick commenting on the idea of power and how, how much we strive for it in this life and how ultimately we all end up in the same place. And people like Barry Lyndon, of course, are foolish for doing what they do because you could live a life of, of virtue, a life of happiness, a life of contentment. But if you can't find that and you constantly strive for power and wealth and not in a way where you want to make a life for your family, want to provide for your offspring, you know, in a way where you want to make it all about yourself, you will ultimately no matter what, end up six feet under with everybody else. And that is what I think is one of the masterstrokes of this movie. Nothing matters, but these people stave off that fear as long as they can to what, to what. Okay. Here's, here's my complaint with that. So uh, Kubrick is in love with the master shot. He loves landscapes. He, I, I, I would venture to say, though I've never met the guy, he he, he's, he died right after you were born i would understand he he really he he looks at people i think as as statues sometimes because he wants to know how he can put them in a shot he's more interested with the composition of a shot than he is with any sort of connection to a specific character i do think story is important to him but to the extent that he can get story into a frame now i've had issues with all of his movies to an extent and the i i don't know if he himself cares about the story that he is presenting now again i'm i'm not i'm not here to talk about him as an auteur i'm just saying within barry linden why does it matter to me that nothing matters about these people and that they are all dead and of equal ground despite how much they did to try to increase their social standing when it doesn't do anything to make me like any of the characters. And there's not enough besides the very pretty trees that are in here. There are many pretty trees and other frames and lakes and paintings and women's hair and so many gorgeous... So many great art hairstyles and wigs in this movie just ridiculous preposterous <laughs> so many amazing frames that you could take and just put up on your wall and people would think it's a historical painting but there's i don't know there, there's there's no desire to actually write in the screenplay something that gets you to see what kind of man Barry Lyndon is and how this love actually affects him or what caused him to leave behind his wife and start to have all of these affairs or about or, or to delve deeper into his son and the affection that's in them. Those are all just um, mm, th those are all just necessary things or or, or ugh, the absence of them is because we just need to get from one beautiful shot to the other beautiful shot. And I am okay with a movie telling me that at the end of the day, nothing matters. I'm less okay with a movie 
saying nothing matters and also this story isn't going to try and draw you in you're saying you said a lot in that and there, I feel, there's a lot that i wanted to respond to and so i, I think I'll, I'll try to segment these things so we can we can touch on them equally but firstly since we've already been talking about the the nothing mattering of it all I guess I, I just want to sit on that as it is one of the key themes of this movie. And we'll get into the aesthetics and why that obviously delights me. I mean, if you've been listening to the show, you understand that I go for a movie like this. And I want to know what you appreciated about it as well, because it sounds like there are things that you liked about, especially the, the style and the look and feel of this movie. But in terms of the the overall theme, I think that that design that we've been talking about is, is pretty connected to this fatal <laughs> fatalistic view of of wealth and power in that there's so much opulence on display these giant rooms and gorgeous paintings and lovely clothes and expensive wigs and accessories there's servants waiting on you and on your whims and all of this and yet the you you still end up <laughs> where you end up and there's these great uh, shots throughout this movie where Kubrick will start from far away and slowly zoom in to characters in the frame or reverse it and he'll start on the characters close and zoom out and I think about one of these shots from the end of the movie near the end of uh, Barry's time we, we can just call him Barry we should say if you haven't watched the movie yet that his birth name is Redmond Barry and when he ascends to this throne of the, with the Linden family he becomes he takes the name Barry Linden so we have this moment after he has uh, lost his son, who he had with Lady Linden, and they are just both grief-stricken. And we see the shot that starts on him, kind of leaning over a bridge. He's obviously just lost in thought. And the camera starts pulling away, and you see how small he gets in the expanse of his surroundings. And it's moments like that where I think the filmmaking and design are pretty tied in with what Kubrick is trying to communicate about this life. And obviously, he could have easily prevented the death of his son by not giving in to his childish, youthful whims. And he raised a spoiled brat. He thought that he could do what he wanted, and he did, and it cost him his life. And you see the suffering that he's now enduring because of those choices and the way that they they make him so small in the expanse of his surroundings communicates that idea i i think my issue is that there's no plot in this movie and there's no depth of character or characters that you can connect with in this movie and, and i've always been if you can't have plot you should have character and if you can't have character you should have plot I mean, this movie is extremely plot-heavy in that it covers a man's, like, adult it's, life. It's not... <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, I, 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 this is an ex a very plotted-out movie in terms no, yeah, of... <laughs> I, I would say that it's story-heavy. I don't think it's plot-heavy. Well, I understand the distinction, and either way, there's a lot that happens in this person's life. I, I, I don't understand the, the point of no there's, plot okay, because... Okay, fine. There's no tension, see... then. There's no tension in this plot. I mean... I, again, that's not no, true either. It, 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 and and there's just, let no me, tension because let me articulate this point then. Because at the beginning, he's falling for his cousin, but she's falling for this British officer, and there's obviously tension between him and the officer and his family who wants this marriage to happen for her and the and the officer. Then he has to escape from the police, who are we're told who are essentially coming for him, 
and then he run, like and then he gets his money taken from him so he has to figure out what to do and then he joins up in the military and obviously maybe a, even though he's in a war it's a lighter tension moment he's not necessarily having these personal crises but then of course he starts to lie and put himself in these more dangerous but situations for, for a character who all of these external things and all these choices are changing whom he is inside we don't get to see any of those internal changes happen in anything he's pondering in any but they're all happening on the the, surface we see the results of it we don't see any of the transformation so i mean this this character until the point barry to me is the same from the beginning of the movie until the point when he starts having affairs with um and it starts and starts cheating on his wife, that is the first time I can say something has happened in the middle, and despite all of these choices that I have seen happen, we haven't seen how any of them have actually affected him. I I really strongly disagree with that, and I don't think I don't think you're completely off base. I don't think you're talking out of your ass, but I do disagree with it. And I think because we see the the <sighs> for lack of a better word, like, youthful stupidity of Barry. He, we're told that his cousin is his first love, and it's literally the first woman that he's fallen for, and he's willing to, to like, duel for her and lose his life after we know that his father lost his life in a duel. And we see him grow from that kind of stupid, arrogant youth. Obviously, the arrogance isn't something that he loses, but we see him grow into this conniver who can weasel his way into polite society and and yet despite the the journey that he goes on obviously can't lose some of his you know base flaws (laughs) his base character flaws the things that make him redmond barry never leave him even when he becomes barry linden and i don't think that just because he doesn't necessarily develop as a character doesn't mean there's no Nothing changing or happening. And I want to talk about the duel at the end. The duel that he has with his stepson, when his stepson comes back and says, I'm going to challenge Barry to a duel. So, yeah, we'll set this up where Lord Bullingdon is Lady Linden's first husband, like some with her first husband, never gets along with Barry. They have a physically abusive relationship where he beats him as a child and then beats him as a teenager. Eventually, he up and Bullingdon up and leaves after they have this altercation. We're, yeah, like we're led to believe he doesn't care about Bullingdon. And I, I don't know. I, everyone, people have different parenting philosophies. I wouldn't condone violence against your children. And I understand that sometimes spanking, some people spank, it's all good. But like their relationship. <laughs> is a little bit more physically abusive. And we understand this because the way that Barry throws himself at Bullingdon in this fight, eventually Bullingdon leaves. And as the Linden estate starts to fall into disrepair, people come to Bullington who basically get him to come back and kind of take no, over no, no. his but, okay. family's I, I, I want situation. And Bullingdon challenges Barry to a duel. But but I want, and I'll, I want to say, look, e- even that, we don't know if the relationship was completely abusive because we're not shown enough of his relationship to understand if it was completely abusive. So let's talk about But this we're final. still shown, I guess we're still shown plenty to know that they don't like each other. And <laughs> maybe the abusive point was too strong a word and we can still say that but that's the these thing. two don't care this for each other. This ultimate last duel where, where this, this, this little bitch is there with his gun and is so scared of challenging Barry that he shoots it accidentally and thereby loses his shot 
and the music is dramatically increasing and we switch to Barry and Barry's looking at him and says, this dude is an idiot. I am going to give him an out and shoots his gun at the floor. There is so much tension at that scene and you see the result of what a relationship that he had with those other women, with his wife, how the racking up of his debts, how that relationship he had with his other son and with his uh, stepson have led to this moment, except that when we were dealing with his affairs, with his other son, with his rise to power, we didn't see any of those consequences or any of the feeling there. So a lot of the tension that's racked up here kind of dissipates. I mean, I completely disagree. Like, that is the, the most tense scene it in is, the movie. And it's partially unearned. Because a little part of me what is like, I world. don't actually care which one of you wins. I actually kind of want the little... No, he's not a little kid anymore. He's like a grown adult. I kind of want this grown adult to be the one who dies because he's annoying. And I'm and, not and again, rooting I, for either of them. So what, what, what about that's not compelling for you? Well, I think that's actually maybe part of the point of this scene in that we have this, this lead character who we kind of like some of the ways that he charms his way into polite society, but then he gives himself over to vice and it is a bad person. And we so we could say consequences. This is the consequence. He is now faced in a duel and it's a beautiful point of symmetry with the movie because obviously we see him at the very beginning. He is Bullingdon. He's challenging this older man for the, for the hand of the woman he loves. And now it's come back full circle where he's the old man. And Bullingdon is the young one challenging him for the, basically the honor of his family name and for the way that he has, okay. in Bullingdon's view, mistreated his when, mother. Mother. When Barry, when Barry gets shot in the leg, later on, I don't know if like five minutes later, we see him with the doctor, and the doctor's like, "You might have to lose the like we, you might have to lose you do. it. We might yeah, have to like, cut. You need to cut this off if you want to live. Cut this off." And Barry just doesn't show any facial emotion, and a lot of that is like the point of. This dude is going to lose his leg, has lost basically everything, the title that he wanted to get, and we're just going to keep moving. We're just going to keep chugging on. Now, I've and, and, and before you go on again about how that's the point of this movie, I need to care about someone for the point of this movie to hit home. A movie that I don't know if you've seen yet, but that I just rewatched yesterday, which kind of talks about, um, well, different class systems and people who want to go over it. And you're actually like rooting for a character or despising some of the things that he's doing is Nightmare Alley. Both the 1947 and the 2021 version show this, how like no matter what, everyone is still the same. And I realized it's because I was intrigued by this plot, by these consequences. Whereas this movie needs to be trimmed down like an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I so, so there's this, there's a few special features on the, the Criterion release of Berlin. And one of those is an interview with a French film critic who, who uh, literally wrote the book on Kubrick. Or he at least wrote a book on Kubrick. And one thing he says is that Kubrick 
you know, he went back to some of his other movies and he would edit them for releases in other countries or he would, you know, release a different version or what have you. And Barry Lyndon, he knew he didn't want to cut a thing from. And the critic then says, I wouldn't cut a frame from Barry Lyndon either. And I feel the same way. I don't know what you would cut out of this movie and especially a full hour of it. I mean, this movie was probably just flat out bad if you cut out an hour of it because so much of it is is spent. The not just army, the I'd cut out the, the whole army part. I would cut out that army. So much of this movie is about the his journey and his how literally point a to b to c these things keep happening to him like almost like destiny where these these coincidences go his way which enable him to get to the next step in life and each of those part stops on the journey are, are interesting to me but it's also a slow burn and like you said you have sometimes have problems with kubrick's pacing but i think this is a a pretty well-paced movie as three-hour movies go. It's not one that obviously rip-roars through with energy, but it's still fascinating to watch and one that I thoroughly enjoyed now that I've seen it for a second time. It's it's just, I got annoyed 90 minutes in. Well, I got annoyed an hour in, but was willing to give the benefit of the doubt. When part one ended and I thought, I can't believe I have another hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes left in which this dude, who I was all in when it was just him and his cousin, or just him in the British Army, still needs to do more stuff. And I was like, oh, this better get interesting. And it doesn't. It do- and, and, I mean, there's not a mo- like a scene from this movie that's uninteresting to me. And I understand that part of that is probably his personal preference, too. I don't, I don't, I don't know, because... There's nothing about this movie that I would cut. I I don't lose interest in it scene to scene, like story sequence to story sequence. Um, and so I wonder how much of that is also just interest in this particular time period, uh, for example, where I, I, I won't speak for you, but I know I do have some interest in this period in history. Obviously, it's around the time of the American Revolution, and it's not a great time in history f- <laughs> uh, for... For a variety of reasons, the most obvious ones being like marginalized communities that are now a little bit more free to be these days definitely were not at that time. And I noticed in this movie, I think there was literally one black person <laughs> who appears as a servant at some point. Uh, and so obviously like a point in history where these are some of the tensions you have to deal with. Um, and either way, it's still something that the history of it all, I think, is still interesting to me and can be for you know for others as I well can i can enjoy sure a good period drama i enjoyed a good period drama yesterday when i texted you about the story of adele h a francois truffaut movie look there there can be great cool things happening in period dramas you just i don't you need to give me something to latch on to and, and, and again when it comes to or finish your thought actually sorry you can go i was just gonna say when it comes to latching on to something i I think I disagree with the idea that we necessarily need to like a character, like a main character or a lead character. Uh, you don't and I need think to that's... like them. Then okay, then uh, then I guess for you, I they need to I... engage you. They need to bring you in. So how I need how to come, care guess, about Barry? What? How you said Ryan O'Neill gave uh, like your favorite performance in the movie. Is that because everybody else was like an F and you didn't like him? Or what, what is it about Ryan O'Neill that worked so well for you that you didn't ultimately like the character of Barry Lyndon? Because some of these things are, I think, When we saw close-ups of him and we saw how he looked or could talk near the camera or a Clockwork Orange, um, main dude in a Clockwork... I honestly have no clue what his name is in a Clockwork Orange. Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. 
there are so many like extreme close-ups and you get the Kubrick stare where he's just like staring at the camera with this grin on his face. Uh, he is like, it, it, it is a character study, whereas Barry Lyndon is not a character study. And if you're going to tell me about uh, the means Redmond Barry acquired the style and title of Barry Lyndon and the accounts of the misfortunes and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon, it needs to be slightly more of a character study so that I can spend slightly more time staring at Ryan O'Neill's face and seeing the emotions that Ryan O'Neill can emote. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't call Clockwork Orange a character study, but even so, like, I understand maybe one... I, I guess... I was going to say I understand wanting more about Barry as a character, but even so, he is not in every scene of this movie, not in every frame, but he's, like, O'Neill still dominates the movie in terms of screen time, obviously being the main character through it all, having kind of a different supporting cast depending on where and when he is. And, again, this this journey is so compelling to me because you see the ways that he grows and changes, especially as he acquires wealth and power and the ways that he remains the same. You know, you can take the Irishman out of Ireland, but you can't always, you know, take the Ireland out of the Irishman. I don't know what you, what you want, want to say about that. But the ways that... I have no clue what that means. Oh, no, you know, wait, like, I, I, I get it, you I can, get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can take the farm boy out of the farm. We you can know, move whatever. on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... I, that that journey is so compelling to me in both the ways that he remains the same from his youth and iterates on that uh, as, a, as an adult or the ways that he changes and even in reaction to others where this is this is a person who lost his father at a young age to a duel and then when he ultimately has his own son he spoils the boy and dotes on the boy and gets him gifts that are dangerous gifts gives a, a young young boy uh who is not who is riding a pony and looks to be the right size he gives him a horse for his birthday and like lavishing a gift like that on someone obviously is an unwise choice and we see the ways that he with a person without a father uh then treats his own son and for for some people obviously there are movies about people like that who are who treat their sons poorly and that's the story you know but in this version he went a different way and i think there's so much that is compelling or interesting about Barry where even if he has this stars born style rise and fall where he doesn't where many things about him remain the same I, I don't think it loses the what's compelling about it which also again is part of the these themes that Kubrick is working with about fate and destiny about the it's kind of satirizing the ruling class and I, I would argue making this that movie in 1975 still kind of pointing out ways in which the ruling class behaves in 1975 not just in 1775 and i think that with this epic story going around him that barry Lyndon becomes this fascinating character as this social striver who goes rags to riches to rags let me give my final thoughts on it it is a rise and fall i don't find the rise to be particularly interesting and i don't find the fall to be dramatic and if I were to boil down my complaint about this movie in one sentence, that that's it. What are your final thoughts on Barry Lyndon? Uh, well, before I deliver my final thoughts, I do want to spend a moment talking about the aesthetics as we never kind of circled back around to them. And it sounds it's like they pretty. were the one thing that worked for you. Obviously, this is a... This, I mean, for, for me, I would hope that 
if you don't vibe with the story or the character necessarily, you would still get the aesthetics because this is a very distinct atmosphere here where Kubrick is reacting to some of the negatives about period piece films that he does not like and goes through all the time and effort to find these real locations and sets where they're shooting, bringing in extras, some of whom are actual aristocrats from the time, not obviously the 1700s, but like aristocratic families in England who get brought in to be extras wearing these costumes that are aged to look like you know they would have at the time some of which were newly created some of which were you know borrowed and repurposed and this oscar-winning cinematography by john alcott that manages to capture all of this all these ridiculous natural light uh scenes lit by candlelight trying to evoke this sense of an 18th century painting and obviously these paintings are all over the movie quite literally but you see them in frame by frame too and i think part of the the beauty of the aesthetics is actually just evoking this atmosphere. We don't always associate period poems with having an atmosphere. It's normally like the stylings and that's kind of about it. Were you able to connect with the like the actual atmosphere of this movie? For the first hour, yes. For the next two hours, I found them infuriating. Because, and it's it's the same argument I'm going to give again. I'm tired of watching a movie that's more pretty sto- pretty pictures than it is an actual story. I mean, again, look, I, I get how you could maybe have to complain about something like The Green Knight, which is my favorite movie of last year, which maybe it's not a surprise then that a movie you describe that way is one of my you know uh, personal favorites that we're talking about now here on the show. Um, but again, I, I do reject that because I think the atmosphere is so key to being able to kind of get you past some of the period piece trappings and draw you in with how amazing it looks, but also then it kind of puts you in the mindset to be able to comment on the story and the characters and the themes. When, when I'm, 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 I'm done looking at pretty trees and, and, and I am done looking at pretty people's hair. I, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to be difficult. I'm legitimately saying, look, this movie looks gorgeous if only i could connect to the movie so that i could appreciate how gorgeous it is to me the aesthetics need to be there as something that when the story is good get elevated and elevate the story alongside them and this is not it it felt like the story is one way and the aesthetics are the other so if i can't connect to the story why am i connecting with the aesthetics i mean i guess that all that i just disappoints me not that you're disappointing but that you didn't like this movie um because i'm obviously such a big fan of it because for me it the aesthetics are mind-blowing in their accomplishment in their achievement in sitting back and realizing that kubrick's got these scenes where hundreds of extras are marching into battle against one another all in these period appropriate costumes like these kinds of things that sometimes get lost on modern movies because we can fill in things with cgi we can create digital extras these days who look are able to you're giving you can give them their own little brains <laughs> they, they do their little actions throughout the shot uh, but we lose some of these styles of filmmaking with the extraordinary amount of effort that went into making a movie like this and i think that this is one of the best examples of a period piece when it comes to aesthetics uh, and yet that story at the center is still what i'm able to connect to uh and so it's disappointing to me that you did not like this movie as much as i do for me it's hard to say it's my favorite Kubrick because it's sort of his by default. I've only seen three of his movies and one of which I haven't seen in 10 years. So I'd love to watch more of his films and Christian. Hopefully you can find one out there that you do end up liking quite a bit more so than just a, that was fine or worse. So that's Barry Lyndon folks. Um, where is it streaming Christian? Is it on HBO max? I did it on canopy. 
Okay, on Canopy, we have mentioned that before. If you get it through your local library, would definitely recommend that you check it out. Uh, pun intended, I suppose. Or you can get it from the Criterion Collection. So maybe it's on the Criterion channel. I am not sure. I'm not a subscriber to that service. But still, if you're a Kubrick fan and you haven't caught up with this one, for sure, carve out those three hours. If you like period pieces or if you're just following along with the show, hey, we appreciate you. <laughs> check it out, and we'd love to know your thoughts. Next week on the show, Christian, obviously we are talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, as I mentioned at the beginning here. That is one that you've seen before, correct? I saw it when I was in high school, yeah. Okay, so it'll be one I'm coming to for the first time, one that you're returning to for the first time in many years, so I'm looking forward to discussing it. And as we discussed previously, what we'll be doing this month after our three episodes as part of the blend, we'll be wrapping up the blend with a look at the Oscars that we are drawing from, so... Looking at the Best Picture nominees from that year, as well as commenting on other categories as we can. Uh, I was able to watch Dog Day Afternoon for the first time, which I know was a movie that you quite enjoyed, and one that I enjoyed as well. Have you been able to check out anything in terms of 1975? I've seen Nashville, I've seen Tommy, the story of Adele H. Wait, that I've enjoyed, or just 1975? Just 1975. What else have you been watching? Uh, I, I, so those I saw, uh, Give Him Hell, Harry, which was a very, very interesting uh, film to <laughs> to see. I've got I've got a stack. I've got a stack that I'm still trying to work through. Oh, look at you. Yeah. I I now will obviously watch One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest for the show next week, and then only have to see Nashville to be caught up on Best Picture. And then also those movies cover a lot of the other categories because they all received. Uh, four or more nominations plus jaws obviously so i will be trying to do some spot work here filling in blind spots for things as well and so we'll keep you posted on our thoughts especially once we get to that episode and hey if you've reached this point of the episode we thank you so much for listening obviously as we say every time christian and i love watching these movies sometimes you know one more than the other but we love watching these movies and discussing it sharing our thoughts with you the listeners so thank you for listening we appreciate the support and there are a few things that you can do to continue to support the show number one go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you can leave us a rating or a review if applicable helps us reach new listeners there we love to shout out our reviews here on the show i'm looking at apple podcasts so we'd love to shout out a new review there if you want to go and leave your thoughts and if you have some more in-depth feedback for us you can of course send an email to cinema drip podcast at gmail.com we as i mentioned every time love to incorporate listener feedback on the show whether it is just shouting out the email or incorporating it for a potential blend or even having our friends of the show pop onto the podcast so we'd love to know some listener feedback whether you want to talk about your favorite movies from 2021 if you're still catching up there maybe a movie you love from 1975 or if you have any opinions on the movies that we're talking about on the show would love to know your thoughts and hey if you have ideas we're obviously kind of mapping out where Cinema Drip is going to go here in 2022. And if you have a blend that you think would be really fun, or maybe you're not sure about a blend, but you have an idea for a movie that might be cool to look at, send us an email. Again, that's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Christian and myself on social media. Uh, I and the show are on Twitter. Christian's on Instagram. And you can follow both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Nope. <laughs> that's that. Going to go back to, to napping? You're going to... <laughs> Get I back have, in bed. I have other stuff to do. <laughs> I know, I'm teasing. Until next time, folks. I'm Barry Linden Lentz. That was bad. No, that was bad. Sometimes going, I try to wrap bad. it up with a little joke, but that, that, that didn't work. Christian, if if I were to marry into a wealthy family, would I become like Lentz Linden? Like like Redmond Barry becomes Barry Linden? 
Um, is that what I should do? It, I, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I think Maddie should answer that. I, I mean, I feel like Maddie would be all for you marrying wealthy. Mm, yes, I can. I can add uh, another spouse to this family. <laughs> Hopefully, Maddie can. She can enjoy that as well. What a weird note to end this podcast on. I'm Scott. He's Christian, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>